Okay, just want to let everybody know uh, before the sermon here uh, that this this Friday, 7 p.m., we'll be having our celebration of Jesus' crucifixion. There'll be, be a small, intimate service, and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, have a message and uh, some praise and worship. So 7 p.m. on Friday, if you can make it, that would be great. Uh, if, if, you, if you can't make it, uh, just, you know, praise Jesus and, and worship him wherever you're at. But just letting you know that that's, that's open. And, um, and so we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4, the last three verses, 21 to 23. I didn't quite finish it up last week. And so we're going to finish this up. And then if we have time, I'll talk a little bit about uh, Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. And, um, you know, we celebrate the death of the, quote-unquote, founder of our faith, the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, no other religion does that. And so without the, without the resurrection, the cross would be a sad event. But with the, the resurrection, we know that Jesus' death on the cross was for our sins, and he took the punishment that we deserve, and then he rose from the dead to conquer death for us. So we're going to be picking it up at Philippians 4, 21 to 23. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, that the people who are coming to this this church here, as well as uh, other Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches in our, our area, that uh, we're part of the remnant, Lord. We're not perfect. We're not uh, fully conformed to the image of your Son. But we trust in Jesus for salvation. We worship him as God. And we serve him because... He is our Lord. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would bless the people that are here today. You would bless the Trinity Bible Fellowship family. And um, they love your word. They love you and they love your word. They didn't come here to hear the false wisdom of man. And so I pray, Lord, that you would take me, this, this imperfect vessel, and anoint me with your spirit. And empower me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word. And then empower us by your spirit and for your glory to obey what we learn in your word today. We love you, Lord. We just pray that you would help us to love you even more and to live our lives for you and not for ourselves. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, so here we're just going to close up the book of Philippians and Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we talked about some of the highlights last week where Paul, while in prison, he rejoices that Jesus has preached. He says to live as Christ and to die is gain. He wants us to be united in Christ. You know, the unity that we have in this church just really amazes me. Um, we, uh, we're united on the essentials. We may disagree on some of the non-essentials, uh, but we love each other. And, um, and Paul wants us to be united in Christ, but if we're going to be united in Christ, we have to be humble. We have to take on the mind of Christ. The only agenda we have is God's agenda. It's the mind of Christ. It's the kingdom of God. Okay? And, um, and so I can rejoice that we, as a body of believers, are united. But it takes humility. Paul tells us, do all things without complaining. Rejoice in the Lord always. And put no confidence in the flesh. Apart from Jesus, you're nobody special. Apart from Jesus, I'm nobody special. When I got saved, Jesus didn't say, oh, wow, this guy's got so much to offer the kingdom. No, I don't. Whether, whether I have talents that God gave me before I was saved 
or the spiritual gifts he gives me after I'm saved, it's all from God. He gets the glory, not us. So we put no confidence in, in, our, in our flesh and we take our past accomplishments and view that as trash when compared to being in Christ. We don't look, look backward, we press forward to be all that God called us to be, recognizing our true citizenship is in heaven. And we set our mind on heavenly things. He was talking with a few of the guys before church today about hopefully people are storing up with non-perishable food. Things are, you can, you know, the hands writing is on the wall. You know, and um, um, things are getting pretty crazy in the geopolitical world. And, um, and we've been dependent on having all this freedom here in America. And sometimes we've been depending, which isn't a good idea, depending on the government. Um, but all that could come down. And we could have, you know, be left with only the Lord. And so we need to, to prepare and uh, set, set our minds on heavenly things. We, my wife and I, we watched uh, The Hiding Place. How many people have seen The Hiding Place about Corey Ten Boom? A phenomenal movie. And, uh, but she saw when the Jews had to, had to put on their yellow stars, kind of like us putting on our masks all the time. And you know, If you think a mask is good, more power to you. But when the government tells you to do it, I start scratching my head. And... Um, and then Corey Ten Boom had to stop teaching special children because they wouldn't allow meetings of, of a X amount of people. You know, she just had like about eight or nine kids. And the government was kind of putting them in a lockdown. And the Nazis told them in, in Holland that this is just temporary. This will change. Okay? And, um, but Corey Ten Boom and her sister, they lost everything. And all they had was Jesus. And uh, we can be reduced to that. That could happen to us. And so we've got to be content uh, with, with Jesus. Uh, but recognize our true citizenship is in heaven. Set our minds on heavenly things. Be gentle to others, Paul tells us. Be loving, forgiving, and encouraging. Th think about how you can encourage one another is to serve Jesus. Don't keep knocking each other down. Let's pick each other up. And, you know, there, there's heretics out there. And um, there's godless people, anti-Christians and stuff. And we've got to speak the truth in love, but we've got to be firm there. But to one another in the church, let's be loving, forgiving, and encouraging. Um, don't worry. Don't, don't stress. Pray to God with thanksgiving, Paul tells us. And then God's peace will overwhelm us when we petition Him in prayer. We're to meditate on the pure things of God's truth, beauty, and goodness. How many people consider themselves like they really keep up on uh, the political, moral issues that are going on? And basically, you keep up with the news, okay? Yeah, most of us do, okay? Try, if you're going to watch two hours of news... A day, try to study the Bible three hours. Read the Bible three hours a day. Um, because uh, you're not going to find that which is pure and true and beautiful and good uh, just watching the news. we got to be aware of what's going on in our world. we got to know the culture when we witness the people and all. But, um, but spend time meditating on God's perfect word and follow Paul's godly example. Don't just study the Word and meditate on the Word, but obey God's Word. And then last week we saw that Paul commended the Philippians for their generous giving to his ministry. Give to the work of the Lord. That should be the, the number one thing, the number one priority in your life. Okay? You might think, you know, well, Pastor Phil, I don't know if I can make my mortgage payment this month. Well, that's, that's scary, okay? But that's not the most important uh, thing in your life. The most important issue in your life is if you're not saved, the most important issue in your life is you need Jesus. If you are saved, the two most important issues in your life is you need to grow in Christ and you need to tell somebody else about Jesus. Amen. So, you know, and this is very convicting to me, but 
a bigger problem than whether I'm going to make my mortgage payment this month, as big as that is, and if you, know, you try to make that payment, don't, I'm not giving you a green light to stop taking care of your family, but things are getting tough here. But a bigger, pay, bigger problem, bigger problem than my mortgage payment is the fact that my neighbors on my left and right might not know Jesus. You know, I, I preached a message through Zoom to the C.S. Lewis Society of Seattle, They've been having me there for 10, 15 years. And you, before COVID, I used to actually go there and speak. And, um, but uh, Paul went into Athens. And he saw all these idols. The ancient guys used to say there were more idols in Athens than there were people at that point. And, um, and Paul was provoked in his spirit. Does it provoke your spirit to know that your unsaved friends need Jesus? Or you just shake your head and say, what a bunch of losers. And then you just could get on with your life. We've got, we've got to have that heavenly perspective and follow godly examples. But, but Paul says the number one priority is the work of God's kingdom. So be generous in your giving um, to the work of the Lord. Paul commends the Philippians for being generous to, to giving to his ministry when other churches had, had just not done that. And, uh, and then he taught the Philippians about contentment, you know. It's like, look, you got enough food to eat, you got a roof over your head, you got warmth, you should be content. Well, this is America, you know. Your third microwave breaks down and you think, well, go, now I can relate to Job. I know what Job went through. And... Uh, and, uh, um, you know, we, we got to be content. Now, in the end, God promises if you serve him, you're a believer, and you're, if you're a believer and you're not being faithful to him, God could shake up your world. He's like, I'm going to let you go a few days without food. Maybe you'll get your priorities right. But um, the fact is, God, you know, separate our needs from our wants, our desires. That's so hard to do in America because we have so many toys to play with. Um, but recognize that God promises to meet our needs if we put his kingdom first. But the really, in the end, all we need is Jesus. Everything else can be taken away from us. Corey Ten Boom and her sister and her dad and her brother and her nephew, everything was taken from them. Corey Ten Boom got released from prison on a clerical error. The rest of them either died in prison or out of the prison camps, the internment camps, and died of a disease that they got while in the camps. So, um, so Paul says, look, be generous and be content. And now he's going to send them a closing uh, words of greeting. He concludes by greeting and blessing the Philippians. Look at verse 21. He says, Paul says, greet every saint. He didn't, he didn't say, uh, greet the saints that you really like. Greet the saints that you really think are cool. Okay? Um, and then you could just ignore the, the saints that you think, maybe, man, that guy's a little weird or that gal's a little weird. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. I'm telling you if, you, if you're with Paul, if you're hanging out with Paul, Paul, you're pretty high up on the food chain. And they loved the Philippians and they sent their greetings. And some of them probably said, I've, I've never seen the church in Philippi. I've never been out there. But yeah, send, send their greetings. Paul, we're all in one body here. And so greet every saint in Christ Jesus. All believers should be united. Okay? All believers should be united. We are one family in Christ. We should greet other believers because they are family members. You know, what if you hadn't seen your, your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister in, you know, five years, and then you bump into them on a bus? Are you just going to ignore them or are you going to greet them? Well, our spiritual family is even a, a higher intimacy than our physical family. 
You know, and I'm telling you, it's uh, the temptation is there. You know, let's say I was still in secular employment, and if the guys find out I'm a Raider fan, and they happen to be Seahawk fans, okay, um, they might decide, you know what, we're going to hang out together. And that Raider fan is, a, he, he, you know, he was wearing a Raider sweatshirt yesterday or whatever. Now, if I was in Oakland years ago or Las Vegas now, it would be the other way around. I would be in the majority. But um, don't get it to the point where you have more fellowship with fellow Seahawk fans at work than you do with a believer. Maybe the believer is not even interested in, in football. Maybe he's a little further sanctified than you are. And, uh, and, and so, so sanctified, he just cares about prayer, God's word, that he's actually boring to you. You know, he doesn't talk fo- football. Okay? Wouldn't it be nice if on the job site the Christians had the closest unity uh, out of any of the guys on the work site? And they love the non-believers and they speak the truth and love to them, but there's that spiritual unity. But more times than not, you know, my allegiance to my favorite football team becomes the priority rather than uh, my allegiance to Christ. And it should not be that way. And so Paul says, greet not most of or some of, but greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And then he tells them, the the brethren who are with me greet you. So greet other believers because they are family members. Okay? We are family members. Okay? And um, um, look at uh, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Verses 34 and 35. And, And you guys and gals know that I'm... I'm big on apologetics, defending the Christian faith. And I've taken debates on college campuses and all. But the number one defense of the Christian faith is not rational. It's not dealing with historical evidences. It's not dealing with proofs for God. The number one defense of the Christian faith is this. Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Francis Schaeffer, who is a great apologist, a great defender of the faith, called this the, the ultimate apologetic, the final apologetic. The greatest defense of the Christian faith that Christians can make is if we love one another. Because everybody wants to be part of a family. And our earthly families often let us down. And even when they don't let us down, it's still not enough. There's got to be a higher family. And uh, so when we show the world that we have love for one another, the world we'll see there's something that I want. There's something that's missing from my life. The sad thing is we've got so much fighting going on in the church that there's a lot of people that will come to a church and say, man, I listen to these guys arguing and this and that and everything. Uh, I can get more unity at my local bar. As long as I keep buying beers, I can shoot pool or throw darts or whatever but I can get better fellowship there than I can get in church because I don't see uh, that unity. And uh, Paul's saying, look, we're one family in Christ. We need to love one another. And because we love one another, we greet one another. Okay? And, um, and so this is, this is not anti-denominational. You know, some Christians who stress unity will act like all the different denominations are a bad thing. We should be united so we should all be part of the same church. So there's really no separate denomination, just one denomination. And the problem is, whenever somebody says that, it's always their flavor of Christianity. 
that they're fighting for. They're, they're saying, yeah, so if you guys, if the rest of the Christians would just change their thinking and be like me and agree on all these non-essential but important doctrines, um, then you could all join my church. Okay? So this is not anti-denominational. You know, when we baptize you, we fully dunk you back there. Okay? Um, you go to some churches, they sprinkle. And uh, you could debate that issue left and right. We have good reasons why, why we totally dunk. And uh, the churches that sprinkle think they have good reasons why they sprinkle. Um, so I wouldn't expect sprinklers to want to come to a dunker's church. Okay? And, uh, but guess what? When, when, if you're a dunker... Okay? And you run into a sprinkler out in town. Paul says, guess what? You ought to greet them. And why would you greet them? Because he's my brother. He's my sister. Jesus died for them, and they trust in Jesus for salvation. And, uh, and so... If you're in Jesus' family, you're all right with me. Now, after you greet them, you could, you could, you know, go back and hang out with the dunkers and say how you can't understand the sprinklers. But greet them, greet them, and be good to them. You know. And if you want to, if you're a dunker and you want to debate a sprinkler, fine, but not at the job site where all these non-believers are watching you. Okay, because you you might even have fun in a really heated debate, getting loud and everything, and then you might, and then you, when everybody else is gone because they thought the two obnoxious Christian jerks are at it again, so everybody leaves the room. That's when you hug each other, and say, "Brother, man, I had a lot of fun. This was great. Let's do this again." They don't see that; they just see when we throw down. Okay, and and so Paul says. Greed every saint in Christ Jesus. So this is not anti-denominational, but interdenominational. Okay? This is unity in Christ and truth, not outside of Christ and truth. This is not, Paul is not saying, saying, greet Bill Gates and George Soros, who are anti-Christians, who are using their billions of dollars to try to destroy Christianity, destroy Western civilization, destroy freedom, and kill billions of people. Okay? That's not what Paul's saying. Now, Bill Gates gets saved. Yeah. Then we got to say, oh, man, now i got to greet him. Okay? But, uh, but we're a family uh, of believers. So unity in Christ and truth, not outside of Christ and truth. Okay? But we need to express more grace towards those non, those Christian brothers and sisters with non-essential disagreements. Okay? Um, you know, we have different churches that we would disagree with on this doctrine, that doctrine, but even within our church, we can have disagreements and still be united in Christ. Uh, I know we, we've got in our church different Different people in our church with different views of predestination and free will. With different views about whether or not a believer can lose their salvation. Uh, different views about the timing of the rapture. Is the church going to go through the tribulation uh, or not? And so we have people here that love Jesus. Look, if you love Jesus and you love God's word, and you're trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, okay? Um, you're welcome here. We agree on the essentials of the faith, that the Bible is God's word without error, that Jesus is God, the Son, become a man. He died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead to conquer death for us. We're trusting in him alone for salvation because we're all sinners and we can't save ourselves. We believe in the virgin birth of Christ. We believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. And so when it comes to those other doctrines, which may be important, but non-essential, we can still have peace, and we can still greet 
uh, one another. Yeah, we can debate the issues in our free time. Iron sharpens iron. Okay? But, um, but we've got to greet uh, one another. And, um, and so what unites us in this church is that we all agree on the essentials of the, the Christian faith. And, um, uh, but then we have patience with one another. And so we greet every saint in Christ. Verse 22, Paul's talking about those who are with him. And he says, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Verse 22. So Paul sends greetings from his co-laborers in Christ and uh, his colleagues. Timothy is with them. He starts out the letter telling us that. Um, but there's also others who were with him, other colleagues. And then he says the believers from Caesar's household. Now, when I first read that as a new believer, I thought, I didn't know Caesar's household had believers. Well, to be honest with you, they probably didn't. They might have had a few, but not many, until a prisoner named Paul showed up. Okay? Now, I'm telling you, uh, when Paul showed up, the power of God speaking through him was so evident that even non-believers would follow him. Just read the book of Acts. I mean, Philippian jail in Acts chapter 16, him and Silas are singing praise songs at midnight. There's an earthquake, and nobody, Paul guarantees that none of the prisoners are going to run away to the Philippian jailer. How did he know that? I think he knew that because they looked to him for leadership. When uh, there's a shipwreck, Nobody's going to flee. None of the prisoners are going to flee. Paul tells the Roman official who's in charge of them. Um, how did he know that? Because they were listening to Paul. And, um, and so apparently, when Paul got arrested, and eventually he appealed his case to Rome, and they sent him to Rome at Caesar's household, Paul's got a church there. Here you got uh, officials, Roman officials, serving Caesar and then probably some of Caesar's relatives. And Paul's saying, you know, hey, any time I get the opportunity, I'm going to share Jesus with people. You want to get advice about sharing people while in prison, especially in a brutal uh, type camp like internment camps, watch Cory Ten Boom, The Hiding Place. She and her sister had a vibrant ministry, Bible studies and everything. I mean, like I said a few weeks ago, they were praising God, thanking God for the lice. Because of the lice, the Nazi soldiers wouldn't enter their barracks. And that gave them the freedom uh, to have Bible studies in there. And even the Bible, they had to, Corey Ten Boom had to illegally get that. Um, and so Paul sends his greetings from his co-laborers in Christ and also the believers in Caesar's household. Uh, the Philippians understood, we can support Paul's ministry even when he's in prison because the work God's called him to do will continue. Okay? Um, it's convicting to watch this, The Hiding Place, the movie about Corey Ten Boom. She probably had more successful ministry and spent more hours in ministry while imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp than I do uh, as a pastor who's free and on the outside. And um, um, they don't give you a lot of sleep and they don't give you a lot of food. Um, but if you can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain... If Jesus is the reason why you live and breathe, if Jesus is the reason why you get up in the morning, then you preach Jesus. Okay? You preach Jesus. Doesn't mean you preach Jesus in such an offensive way that you push people away from Jesus. It means you love people, you build relationships with them, you plant seed 
and you preach uh, the gospel with your words and your deeds. You practice what you preach. And then Paul ends this letter with a blessing. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The word for grace is charis in the Greek. It means unmerited favor. We're saved by God's grace. We don't deserve salvation. If you want what you deserve, it's called the eternal flames of hell. That's what you've earned, and that's what I've earned. Okay? We do not deserve salvation. And Paul's saying, look, you're saved by grace, and um, I'm going to wish more grace upon you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so he wishes upon the Philippians, he would wish upon all Christians this, not only greetings, but grace, that uh, we would have God's favor. And um, I'm telling you, it's getting harder and harder. Well, look at, look at Galatians 1.10. Galatians 1.10. Paul says this in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant or a slave of Christ. Okay? What he's saying is, each and every one of us, we have to choose. Are you going to please God? Or are you going to please man? And if you seek the favor of God, you want God's favor to be upon you, not just for salvation, but for walking through life, that means you're probably not going to receive too much of the favor of man. You stand for Jesus and his truth and his righteousness, and you're going to take off a lot of people. Okay? I don't want favor from the government. I don't want favor from my culture. I want the undeserved favor from God. And Paul, he, he blesses the Philippians and says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now when he calls Jesus our Lord, the word in the Greek is koreos, um, he's using it in a religious context here. Koreos doesn't always mean God, but in this context it does. Okay? When Jesus is called the Lord Jesus Christ, or our Lord Jesus Christ in a religious context, you know, let's face it, Paul was a Jewish guy, and then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he gets saved. Okay? And the Lord our God is one Lord. Paul knows that. And yet he closes letters and starts letters talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, when the ancient Jews translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, the most likely way to translate the uh, name of God, Yahweh, the most likely way, the most frequently way they translate that, translated that was with the word koreos. So when Paul calls Jesus our Lord Jesus Christ, he's saying that Jesus is Yahweh. Okay, the I am who I am, who spoke to Moses from the burning bush. Um, so Jesus is Yahweh, but he's also the Christ, Christos in the Greek. Um, it's, it's, it's the, uh, the word that means Messiah. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the one that God anointed to... God has selected and anointed and empowered Jesus to rescue the Jewish nation. Not just to die on the cross for their sins and our sins, okay? But he's also going to rescue Israel 
from uh, her pagan enemies. He'll do that at the second coming. And so Jesus, yes, he is our Lord, but he's the Jewish Messiah. And, um, and you know, there's going to be this false solution. We already see it coming about, this false solution to world peace, where if we just wipe out, you know, I'll go on record saying right now that really the final domino to fall to usher in global tyranny, you've got to, you've got to remove the armed American middle class. We are the bad guys. That's why President Trump was so hated, because he was sticking up for the bad guys. He was sticking up for the wrong team. He was trying to protect us. But once we're out of the way, the globalists are going to do whatever they feel like doing. Okay? And uh, eventually that final solution for peace is going to be, you know what? We can't have peace on earth and a global state. You know, they're going to be exterminating humans left and right, these demonic globalists. But they're going to eventually think that the only way to get peace, we've got to solve the Arab-Israeli conflict. And since there's so few... Jews and so many Arabs, let's just exterminate the Jews and we'll have peace. Isn't that amazing that so many people, so many tyrants throughout history and their solutions to try to bring about a better world, it always comes down to eliminating the Jews. And of course, that's going to be eliminating anyone who trusts in Lord Jesus will be persecuted in all nations. Um, because of Jesus. And, um, and so it's going to come about. But Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He is Yahweh. He is our Savior. Uh, but he is the Jewish Messiah. He's going to come back to not just rescue the church, but to rescue the nation of Israel, the remnant of Jews. All Israel will get saved. They will turn to Jesus. And Jesus will um, come back to rescue them. So all true believers, we have God's unmerited favor for salvation. Paul is wishing God's unmerited favor to continue through our lives um, and so that God's favor would be uh, upon us. And then Paul closes this letter by saying, Amen. Which means, so be it, or it is true. You know, it was a... Uh, guy who became a New Tribes mission missionary. He wanted to become a missionary, but he was like an old guy, they thought. He was like in his 50s or something. And they thought, man, no, you got to be a young kid to get out there in, a, in a barren lands and to be a missionary. And so nobody wanted. They kept rejecting him and everything. And finally, New Tribes mission said they'll accept him. And they go and preach the gospel to people who've never heard of Jesus, places like in Papua New Guinea, tribal peoples there, people who have their own oral language, they have no written language, and they learn the language of the people. Then these missionaries invent a written language for them, and then they start translating the Bible for them. Okay? So this guy that nobody wanted to be a missionary... Um, He's out there, it was like, they had like the bleachers, and uh, he's out there preaching. They were preaching like Bible stories through the Bible, and lead, then lead right up to Jesus and, and the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so he was preaching to these people, and um, when he started preaching about Jesus, is the miracles he performed and all, the, the, the townspeople, they would, uh, they would, Listen, they started thinking, he could be the one. He could be the Messiah. He could be the Savior. And they would take the audio cassette recorders they had, and you had to power them just with your own arm, and they'd listen over and over again to uh, the sermons, the stories that this missionary that nobody wanted preached to them. And... Uh, and then when he preached that Jesus was crucified, they started weeping. And they spent that next day weeping and thinking, boy, we thought he was the one. 
We thought he was the one to come and rescue us. And now we found out that he died. Then the next day, when he preached that Jesus had risen, all of a sudden one guy stands up and screams out, Etau, Etau. And then another guy stands up and screams, Etau, Etau. And then a lady stands up, Etau, Etau. And then people are standing up and just babbling on in their language. And it's like they're speaking too fast. I can't figure out what they're saying. I have no idea what they're saying. Then another person stood up and he didn't know they were giving their testimonies. And uh, standing up and they starts blabbing on. And he's like, I don't know what's going on here and this and that. And then all of a sudden they all started saying in unison, Etau, Etau, Etau. And he's like, I don't know what Etau means. And then they got out of the bleachers and they started rushing towards him. And he's like... I don't know what Etau means. Now, if you know anything about Papua New Guinea, some of these tribes were like cannibals and stuff. I don't know about this particular one, but he's thinking, I don't know what Etau means. And they mobbed this guy and they put him on their shoulders and marched around with him. And so later on, he found that Etau means it is true. It is good. He didn't teach them the word amen yet. But they were saying amen. By the way, you could, you could buy that uh, D. I was going to say video. Nobody knows what a video is anymore. But uh, you could buy that D- DVD from New Tribes Mission. It's called Etau. And uh, that whole story. Um, but when we say amen, it's because we hear the word of God preached and it ministers to our hearts. We say, amen. We say, it is true. It is good. So be it. And so with the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, we say, it is good. It is true. Amen. In fact, if I remember correctly, what's the last word in the Bible? grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so we say to the word of God, Amen. If we were that tribal people group in Papua New Guinea, we would say Etau. But we say as a people, Amen. Now, this Friday we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Death on the cross for our sins. We're going to be celebrating that today, too, with the Lord's Supper. And we'll have the Lord's Supper on Friday as well. So I just want to go over a couple verses with you and then turn it over to Pastor John. 1 Peter 3.18. So that completes our study of Philippians. And now we want to really start focusing our minds on Jesus' sufferings and death, how he... He bore the scourging of the Roman flagrum. Uh, He bore the crucifixion, the cross, and the crown of thorns, and his uh, uh, side pierced after his death. But he bore the pains of crucifixion for us, not to set a good example for us. Sure, that's one of the implications of it. Um, But he died on the cross. He took our punishment for us. And died in our place. So if you look at 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The just, that's Jesus, for the unjust, that's you. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus is the totally just one, the totally righteous one who died for unrighteous people like you and me, uh, died on the cross for our sins. Look at the chapter before that, 1 Peter 2, verse 24, talking about Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes 
you were healed. And so Jesus took our punishment for us. He died in our place. God the Father punished Jesus for our sins when he died on the cross for the sins of mankind. He satisfied the justice of God. You know, Romans 3 says that God demonstrates his own righteousness or justice by Jesus dying on the cross. Romans 5 says that God demonstrates his love toward us by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And I used to think, well, how could it be both? Well, how just is God? God is so just that he cannot fellowship with sin. God is so just that in order for us to go to heaven, his son had to pay the price for our sins. How just is God? Just look at Jesus on the cross. That's what it took to save sinners like us. How loving is God? God loved us so much that he was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son, his beloved son, in our place. I don't know about you, that's, that's a love that is unattainable by, by human beings. Uh, but God, it satisfied God's justice. All sins are paid for. God loved us so much that he punished Jesus in our place. And then Colossians 2.15. Colossians 2.15. When Jesus died on the cross, in fact, we'll look at verses 14 and 15. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And so what Paul is saying is that Jesus, our debt to the law, the evidence that, uh, that we deserve damnation, Jesus nailed that to the cross. He took our punishment for us, and in the process, he also conquered the forces of evil, Satan and, um, and his minions of demons. And so I'll close with this, and then I'll turn it over to Pastor John. But 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, chapter 5 and verse 15, uh, it amazed me that... Chris, we don't collaborate on the songs and all, but one of the songs was dedicated to this principle. And I was planning on closing this message today with this. If Jesus died for us, and he did, God the Son left the throne room of heaven and became one of us and died on the cross for our sins, took our punishment for us. He died in our place and conquered the forces of evil if he died for us, now that we've trusted him for salvation, how should we respond? And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, we're told how we should respond. It says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is just like Paul when he said in Philippians 1, 21, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why is it to gain? Because if you die, you go to be with Jesus. But your whole reason for living should be Jesus. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. And so the least we can do is live for King Jesus and not ourselves. And I'm telling you, you can live for Jesus in America and still be decently comfortable. The days are going to come when living for Jesus is going to come with a major, major economic and political cost. Um, but what I would say is if the whole world turns 
on Jesus. Say with Joshua, but it's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. You live for Jesus. Your life should be a sermon. Yeah, you should preach Jesus till the day you die. But your life itself should be a sermon. You live for Jesus. And uh, the day will come when we'll be in his presence and see him face to face. Uh, until then, live for Jesus and preach Jesus until you die or he returns. I'm going to have Pastor John come up and lead us in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Yeah.